0: Welcome to the Sermon Ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10:30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. of God. From Matthew chapter 16 At verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then also Matthew chapter 20 verses 25 to 28. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. So, let's pray. Father, we come to you at this time of hearing your word, and we ask just again that you would draw us to one focus, what you have to say to us. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart that is soft and ready to receive. Give us a mind ready to consider and to understand what it is that you are wanting us to hear today. And Father, make me a pure preacher of your word that I would say And convey what you want communicated. Hold me back, Father, from error or corruption from my own fallible mind. Let it be, Father, your word that we hear today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well today we are continuing on with our series, Follow Me. And follow me has really been a, a walk through the Gospels and eventually it'll be a walk through the rest of the New Testament by basically putting ourselves in the company of Peter, the first disciple, to see what it means when Jesus calls all of us to follow him. Peter was the one that was given that command early in the Gospels and, and he is given a prominent place as one of the disciples for the purpose of, of being the model disciple for us to watch and learn from. And so we have seen Peter uh, respond to to Jesus' call. We have seen uh, Peter respond to Jesus' holiness with conviction. We've seen Peter respond to Jesus' mission and his call to make disciples. We've seen Peter respond to Jesus' power walking on the sea with him. And last week we saw Peter respond to the most important question that Jesus issues all of us, which is the question, Who do you say that I am? And we saw Peter respond, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we see through Peter that every disciple makes a solid confession in the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we, we looked at four features of that true confession, and the last one that we looked at was that a true confession is being reformed, and that was seen in these words at the end of uh, sixteen twenty one to 23, where uh, Jesus rebukes Peter for trying to stop Jesus from his mission of going to the cross. Jesus calls Peter Satan and says that you are a hindrance to me, that you are placing your mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. And As we looked at that passage, we recognized that Peter just had a fundamentally misguided understanding of what what the, the meanings of the word Christ meant. He rightly identified Jesus as the Christ, but he wrongly understood what it meant for Jesus to be the Christ. He saw a victory of triumph, not a victory, of death, that Jesus would go to the cross and eventually be resurrected. That was just not in his understanding. Peter had come to this place with, with a misunderstanding of the Messiah. And so at this point of correction, Jesus is reforming Peter's understanding of what it means to be the Christ and at the same time, reforming what it means to truly grasp the words, follow me. So today we are going through this passage that is really a, 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 a clinic in the gospel of Matthew on what is the, the life of a disciple. And we're looking at these, these uh, stories from chapter 16 to chapter 20. We're going to look at three of them specifically where Peter shows up very prominently to discover new lessons about discipleship we see that discipleship is defined for us right there in 16:24 if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me follow me takes on an entirely new meaning as we head into these chapters jesus is headed to the cross And so the emphasis today on follow me is on the words me. A disciple is following Christ who is himself headed to the cross. If a disciple is going to follow Christ, he must take the way of the cross with him. And so in this passage, we are going to see that Christ is both our model. And our motivation for discipleship. The the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously uh, understood the the words follow me from Jesus to to basically mean this. When Jesus says follow me, he he bids one to come and die. There is a call to die to self when we respond to the words follow me. As we look at these three passages that Peter will will present uh, discipleship lessons for us in, we are going to see that 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 call to die is not a single death. It's not a a, a triumphant going down with, with glory. It's not a single stand. It is instead a death made by a thousand cuts. You see, the life of discipleship, the life of dying to self, is is uh, an endeavor that we wake up and start over every single day. Peter is going to go through three stories. He's going to be in three stories here that are going to show us how the call to follow Christ is a call to laying down our life. The main point in these passages is this. Discipleship requires death to self for the sake of the gospel. And so, as we start looking at these passages, we're going to see uh, three things, or I should say, three sacrifices. First, we're going to see in in, uh, Matthew 17 that, like Christ, the disciple denies himself freedoms to promote gospel witness. And then we will look in chapter 18 at another story with Peter, and we will see that like Christ, the disciple denies himself vindication to practice gospel forgiveness. And then in chapter 19, we will see the third sacrifice, that like Christ, the disciple denies himself present security to pursue gospel life. As we move into this first sacrifice, we recognize that this is Jesus' explaining what it means to, uh, as we read earlier, to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That is the framing verse for all of these stories. But let us turn in Matthew chapter 17 to look at this first story where we will see that the disciple denies himself freedoms to promote gospel witness. In Matthew chapter 17, we are going to look at at, uh, verses 24 to 27. We read, When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? from their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. This story, which we are going to see Reveals that, like Christ, the disciple denies himself freedoms to promote gospel witness comes after Jesus has presented himself in the transfiguration, revealing his glory, revealing once again and powerful uh, evidence that he is the Son of God because God himself speaks to him. But then his march down the mountain and on to Jerusalem continues. And just before this uh, encounter, Jesus foretells his death and resurrection a second time. And so, when we come to this passage, we recognize that this modeling of of discipleship to uh, Peter is on full display, and it very much is driven by this march to the cross. So this passage begins about two months before the Passover, the, the Passover which will be the Event that surrounds his death, and so we are within two months of the events that he is prophesying. And it was customary in the time that everybody that was a grown male would pay an annual tax to support the temple. And this this tax was a, a two drachma tax, which was basically two days' wages. And so what is happening here is Jesus is back at his, at, at Peter's home in Capernaum, and the people come to him, and they want to know, is he going to be paying the temple tax? Peter assumes that the answer is yes, and so he says, yes, my teacher is going to pay the tax. Then when he comes inside, Jesus is ready. like He, 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 is, he already has, has heard the conversation, or more likely he is responding to it because he knows uh, Peter uh, before Peter knows himself. And he says these words to Peter. What do you think, Simon, from whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? What Jesus is, is asking here is, the, is, is what is the custom? Does the, does the emperor tax his sons or does he tax people that are not his sons? The idea is that the, the typical practice is kings exempt their own family, their own sons, from paying the tax. And so Jesus uh, uh, asks that to Peter. Peter understands the the question. He says, no, sons don't pay the tax. So Jesus responds, then we are free. Why does Jesus say we are free? I think in saying that, Jesus is revealing a, a, a high understanding of who he is. Because he is saying regarding the temple, who is the Lord of the temple? Who is the king over the temple? That is God. And the son of God does not have to pay the temple tax because the tax is for others. That is basically what Jesus is saying. And so he is saying that that he is free from this tax. He is not under obligation to pay for this tax because just as it is customary that the sons of kings do not pay taxes to the king he, as the Son of God, does not need to pay taxes to the temple, which is the house of God. So here Jesus is, is, is expressing his freedom in, 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 in a strict sense. His answer is, no, I don't have to pay the tax. I am free from paying the tax. In the position of being a Son of God, that is not applied to me. So then, does Jesus go out and tell that person, "I am not paying the temple tax"? No, that is not how this passage proceeds. There is a a, a surprising change when Jesus' words. Look carefully at verse twenty-six. In verse twenty-six, Jesus says. Uh, from uh, Jesus says, the, "Then the sons are free." But then in verse twenty-seven, however, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, and he's given instructions on where to find the the tax to pay, the the, the shekel to pay. But the key thing here is Jesus, knowing that he is free and having a right not to pay this tax, says to Peter, "However." not to cause offense to them and proceeds to pay it anyway. Jesus chooses to do something he is not obligated to do, something that he is, in fact, free from because of his commitment not to cause offense. Now, if you've read the Gospels carefully, Jesus is not exactly a person that avoids controversy, that avoids saying something provocative, even things that offend. I mean, the the number of people who have decided this guy must go is growing by the day. So why is Jesus saying here, this is to avoid offense? Furthermore, the gospel itself is an offense. Jesus is in the profession of preaching a message that is fundamentally offensive. Because the gospel message is saying, repent, you sinner. To receive the gospel message, you have to respond, yes, I am a sinner going in the wrong direction. And unless you are ready to repent, that is a deeply offensive message. So Jesus is offensive. So why would he say here not to give offense? The reason is, what is the offense over? This pain of this tax or not pain of this tax is not crucial to Jesus' mission. This is not central to what he came to do, what he came to accomplish what he was sent to preach. His message is, who do you say that I am? And he does not want the message to be muddied or confused with. He doesn't support the temple or he's anti-temple tax. Those messages would simply confuse and distract. And so we see Jesus, the Lord of righteousness, the one who is truth itself, making an accommodation over what he understands is a lesser matter. He is saying, I will submit my freedom, I will submit my right to be free of this tax and subject myself to it and pay this tax because a disciple denies himself freedoms to promote gospel witness. This is what Christ did for us. This is what Christ did to save us. He denied himself the freedom of heaven to come and live in our midst To be put on trial and convicted with lies. And then to die on the cross the most humiliating death, the slave's death. Christ is the one that has modeled for us that there is a a time where we deny ourselves freedoms to promote gospel witness. He is the model and he is the motivation. What Jesus is teaching Peter here is so important to an effective disciple. Not all stands are worth it. Not all truths are equal. Not all rights are are inviolable our witness our pursuit of the mission of making Christ known must be above all there are as we have been as we are all familiar many ways to win the argument but lose the war And so here in Scripture is a story that is telling us don't commit yourself to win the argument at the expense of winning the war. This is a principle of discipleship. Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 12, put it this way. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. We endure anything Including the trampling of our rights and the trampling of our freedoms. So, what does this mean for a disciple who must learn to deny himself in the pursuit of Christ? Beloved, I think we are in a season of great temptation, a season where we can give ourselves over to complaining to boasting, to insensitivity, to divisiveness. We are are sheltered away from community, and we have easy access to publish our thoughts on any number of subjects, to get dogmatic, to get polemic, to get angry behind the, the, the security of our computer screens. We can also become obnoxious in celebrating how blessed we are. We must recognize in this a caution. There are freedoms, there are rights, there are expressions that we have liberty to participate in that may very well harm our gospel witness. I think of the parable of of the Pharisee and the tax collector in in Luke chapter 18, and, and I just want to read verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you, I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Do you think that Pharisee gets to witness much? Do you think that Pharisee and and those expressions bring many people to a hearing of the gospel in his presence? Beloved, the disciple denies himself freedoms, denies himself the the rights and and perhaps the, the opinions that you, may, that you may want to share for the sake of promoting gospel witness. This is a call to examine ourselves. Are we consuming ourselves and committing ourselves to making mountains out of molehills when a wide open opportunity to witness to the gospel is right in front of us? again, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. As we seek to follow Christ, the disciple denies himself freedoms to promote gospel witness. Now let's move forward into chapter 18 where we will come across another story where we will see that like Christ, the disciple denies himself vindication to practice gospel forgiveness. Let's look at chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? This is a wonderful little statement from Peter. Peter is a careful learner. He's gathering something of the, the, um, the largeness and the generosity of the kingdom, the message of mercy in the kingdom. That is evident because he says seven times. It was typical in the culture that you gave somebody maybe one forgiveness. The most liberal rabbi of the day is on record for suggesting maybe you give three opportunities of forgiveness. And so Peter is here really stretching and asking Jesus, as a disciple of you, do we forgive even seven times? That's so generous. Peter's perspective is forgiveness is, is, is a precious thing. And, and the number of, of, of opportunities at forgiveness have to be set at some number, have to be set at some limit. I mean, we have to think about this, seven times, we're saying seven times, this person can abuse me, can take advantage of me, can defraud me, seven times, this guy can get away with wrongdoing upon me. With no recompense. That's what forgiveness means. I'm not going to get set right. I'm not going to be vindicated. I'm not going to have any redress. When I forgive, it, it, it is canceled. Timothy Keller reminds us of, of why forgiveness is so hard. Because forgiveness is the act of taking on the penalty. Uh, the debt that is, that is someone else's upon yourself. The picture of somebody damaging your property. That, that, that bills out at $1,500. To say, I forgive you is to say, you don't pay that $1,500. I pay that $1,500. That's what forgiveness means. We are taking upon ourselves what they owe. And that is the only way that we cancel it. That includes the emotional debt, and the psychological debt. The anger. When we forgive, we take the debt and cancel it. And so, goodness, seven? You want us to do that seven times? Seven is a lot. Can can you think of somebody that you've given seven forgivenesses to? That's a lot. But then Jesus blows this apart. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. He's saying, put away the book. Quit keeping count. Disciples must forgive without limit. Why? Why does Jesus say this? Now let's step back. And let's look at this conversation and not forget something. This is Peter talking to Jesus. How many times... At this point alone, has Jesus forgiven Peter? How many boorish words and rash actions has Jesus already forgiven Peter? And Peter, and Jesus knows all of Peter's life. He knows that soon, this Peter will deny him at his moment of greatest abandonment, not once or twice, but three times. Jesus is the one Peter is talking to. How many times has Jesus forgiven Peter? You see, Peter is completely unaware of himself. When he says, seven times enough? Jesus, to try and explain this, gives us this parable of this king who has a substantial, humongous, and incalculable debt that one of his servant owes. And when his servant comes to him and says, I, I can't pay that debt, the king graciously forgives all of it to that servant. And then that servant immediately goes down to one of his servants who has a debt that that servant can't pay. And he says, pay me what you owe. And because that servant could not pay his debt, he is thrown in jail. And when that happens, Jesus shares that the king comes back to that servant of the debt he forgave and said, now that you have acted that way, you have to pay for your debt. You know, the purpose of the, of the parable is to remind us that those who have been forgiven much must forgive much. Remember what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. The fifth petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Peter, what do you mean by the word As? You want your debts forgiven in the manner of, to the degree of, as many times as you have been forgiving? What Jesus is saying to his disciple what if my answer, Peter, to you was seven? You get seven. Forgivenesses. And after that, there's no more. Could you stand with seven forgivenesses before the Lord? I couldn't. I've blown through my seven a long time ago. I'm into the thousands, I'm into the millions. The point is, I have been forgiven an uncountable number of times. That is the forgiveness that we have in God. And the disciple is to forgive in the manner that he has been forgiven. Beloved, praise God, he doesn't keep count. As Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He is the one who forgives all all your iniquity. Beloved, as we think about forgiveness, forgiving those who have wronged us, we must look at the cross. Christ did not say to us, to forgive an unlimited number of times for any other reason than he himself has done that for us. He kept silent when mocked. He kept silent on the cross when ridiculed. They said he saved others he can't save himself. He stayed silent. He did not vindicate himself. He did not show his power. Instead, he continued to gasp in weakness. And when he spoke considering all that he had to muster as he is suffocating. When he spoke from the cross, it was not his vindication he spoke. It was these words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is the forgiveness that we hear Christ proclaim. That is the forgiveness that spills out of Christ, our Savior. That is the forgiveness that is behind the words, Follow me. Peter, it's not seven. River, It's not 77. We forgive unlimited because we have been forgiven an unlimited number of sins. So as we look at the disciple denies himself vindication to practice gospel forgiveness, let me challenge you to examine your heart here Where are you, O blood-bought Christian, vindicating? Where are you, O vessel of mercy, doubling down on bitterness and anger, Where are you, O oh precious child of God? Fuming in anger as you think upon your enemies. Beloved, let us look at the relationships that have gone cold, at the conflicts that have gone over long. At the enemies that we have kept, even as we confess that we were an enemy of God, given peace by the cross of Christ. Where's the forgiveness? We have an abundance of time to consider. Who out there needs my apology? Who out there needs the words, I let it go? I forgive. This is a season where you can make amends. Like Christ, the disciple, denies himself vindication to practice gospel forgiveness. A third, let us turn to chapter 19 and let us look at this last passage where Peter shows up in this path to the cross, this path to Jerusalem. This last passage comes after the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you have to obey the commandments. And he says, all of these I have kept until, since my youth. So Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack. Sell all that you owe and give it to the poor and come follow me. And those words become the great separation of this rich young ruler's zeal to know Jesus. We are told that his face fell and that he walked away. The call, the demand to follow Jesus was too high. It is in that context that Peter comes for clarification. And it is there in this clarification where we will see the third sacrifice that like Christ, the disciple denies himself present security to pursue gospel life. The rich young ruler discovered that following me means to submit all of self to the lordship of God, to hold nothing back to be willing to give all away because when we confess Christ, we confess that he has redeemed all that we are. Therefore, all that we are belongs to him. The rich young ruler could not accept giving all. He could not accept That a disciple must be willing and in some real sense truly give all that they have away for following Jesus. He could not give away his present security in his things, in his status, in his life. This call to discipleship in Matthew sixteen twenty-five that starts this section, he could not bear. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The rich young ruler says, I have to keep my life. And in walking away from Jesus, tragically, he loses it. So Peter watching this in stunned disbelief with the disciples hears Jesus say that it is uh, uh, easier for a camel to go through a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they say, who then can be saved? If the most blessed person I have ever met is far from the kingdom, who can possibly be saved? Jesus says, with man this is impossible. Impossible but all things are possible with God. Peter reflects on this this amazing event of seeing this one being turned away because he chose his present security and he asks a question. Verse 27, chapter 19, verse 27. He asks this. See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Peter is looking back on where he has been with Jesus, and he recognizes, "I dropped my nets, I dropped my fishing business. I, I, I dropped my old way of life, and I have followed you. But it's been hard, and, and as you keep talking about it getting harder. And as I keep looking at these these denials that that, that come upon the disciple, what's it going to add up to, Lord? Jesus hears Peter. He looks at him. And he says these words. Truly I say to you, In the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus looks at Peter, who he has been teaching discipleship is a a path of self-denial, of death to self. He doesn't say, follow me and hold on to your personal security your temporary security, your earthly security. Those sorts of things are called to be sacrificed in the words, follow me. He doesn't roll back what he said to the rich young ruler. He doesn't say to Peter, no, that doesn't apply to you. No, the call of all of me is the call of every disciple. The disciple must deny himself present security, But Jesus knows Peter's need. And so he assures him, you may lose all things in this world in the call of the gospel, but have no doubt that you will come into an inheritance a hundredfold. You will know eternal life. You will spend eternity with me. Jesus wants Peter to know what he has taught them in the parable of the treasure in the field. Jesus described in Matthew chapter 13 that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure buried in a field. And so he went, sold all that he had, and bought that field. You have to sell all that you have, but you end up with the treasure that is without price. And that is what Jesus wants Peter to understand. That yes, the call of discipleship has costs to it. And many in the world will say the cost is too high and like the rich young ruler, will walk away. But you, follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me and you will be like the one who sold all that you had to buy that field to receive a treasure beyond estimation. But that parable, beloved, is not the most apt picture of our inheritance. It is not the most uh, provocative understanding of the gospel life that is promised to us, the most provocative demonstration of this great reward is seen by Christ on the cross. Beloved, Christ refused to save himself but endured the cross to open heaven for us. We are told in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 that Christ, despising the shame of the cross, endured it for the joy set before him. And that joy, beloved, is the joy that he describes here to Peter. The joy of the gospel life Will make all present tribulations, all present loss seem like nothing. How great must the reward of heaven be that Christ endured the cross to enter it. This is for us to grapple with. The disciple denies himself present security to pursue gospel life. Beloved, the the sacrifice of present security can, can come upon us as things that we give away. It can also come to us in things that are taken away. In that second sense, many of us are feeling the squeeze many of us are feeling our present security quite jeopardized. What the call to discipleship is in our circumstance, when our present security seems less certain, is to live more fully trusting in the hope of the gospel life. It is a call to respond with hope in our salvation, to be a witness in a world that is seeing their security taken away, to see in you a security that seems unshaken, a security that in some sense or another becomes more real to you and more centering of your life. beloved our present moment is pointing to where our security is let this be a time that we fix our hope on christ and his resurrection so like christ the disciple denies himself freedoms to promote gospel witness the disciple denies himself vindication to practice gospel forgiveness The disciple denies himself present security to pursue gospel rewards. The gospel calls us to die to self. But that is because it offers new life in Christ. As I close, let me ask you. Have you found the life that Christ offers Christ came. He died on a cross for sins. He was buried in a tomb and he rose from a dead, the dead to declare that all who put their trust in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Have you made Christ your Savior and Lord? Have you responded to the words, follow me? Thank you for listening We hope you've been blessed by this sermon From River Community Church We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church Located in Prairieville, Louisiana Whose purpose is to help people live in And live out the good news of Jesus Christ We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays At 10.30am And to learn more about us At rivercommunity.org